Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. The quote, a picture is worth a thousand words, is an adage in multiple languages, meaning complex and sometimes multiple ideas can be conveyed by a single still image. I'm sure most of you have heard it. Once an image that describes such is posted online for the world to see, you can bet it will spark a discussion amongst whomever sees it and can produce positive and negative comments, more specifically when the image involves the emergency services field. Individuals can and will jump to many different conclusions without truly knowing the backstory. In today's age, the problem with interpretation or assumptions is that some will believe the comments on said image are the truth. Some will take it personally and act on this belief and react by injecting their opinion. Case in point, Fort Lauderdale Fire Captain Robert Ricci. The subtle image taken of Captain Ricci at a structure fire which occurred on May 13th stirred waves across social media platforms. Some called him reckless, while others praised the actions of Ricci. The point I'm trying to get across is this. When did it become okay for firefighters to belittle and tear each other down over an image? Over one still image. I dare say most who commented, especially the negative comments, weren't even there. Every situation or incident is different. There is never just one way to conduct or complete a task. When performing a task, such as a single person ladder throw, is there only one way to get it done? Would a short firefighter throw it or manipulate the ladder differently than a tall firefighter? If so, which way is correct? It is my opinion that those who commented negatively really need to reevaluate themselves when it comes to this job. It's been stated by many before us that this job is inherently dangerous. We all know it. Firefighters must be able to make calculated risks based on our knowledge, what we're seeing, and what we've trained on proficiently. People before self. It's what the foundation of the fire department was built on. The general public trusts us that when shit hits the fan, we will show up and take care of their problem. Situational dependent, of course. After hearing Captain Ricci's reasoning behind the image, I want those who may have jumped the gun negatively to honestly think to themselves, what would you have done in the exact same situation? If the answer is anything other than the duty to act, you honestly need to remove yourself from the fire service and find another field. I'm telling you now, the days of mediocrity, being complacent, and treating this job as some sort of hobby is changing at a very steady pace. Those who are bringing back the core values and principles of this job are no longer staying silent and will expose the sheep in wolves' clothing. With that, I gladly present Mr. Rob Ricci, 15 years of career experience, currently a captain on Engine 16. Robert is an instructor who has taught in various training conferences within the Florida area, one being Making Engines Great Again. Robert is also a certified Florida smoke diver. With that... I'll let Robert have the floor. My name is Rob Ricci, uh, Captain, City of Fort Lauderdale Fire Department. I'm on Engine 16, been on a little over 15 years. Uh, My story to start getting into the fire service was not like a a real exciting one or anything. I didn't have this like burning desire to be a firefighter growing up or anything. I don't have anyone in the fire service. So mine kind of started in high school. I was trying to figure out where I was going to be going to college. Uh, I was getting a lot of pressure from my family on where I was going to be going. I had applied to a few places and I ended up 
uh, one of my buddies ended up getting to explore program at Fort Lauderdale and invited me in uh, to go out there and, and see what it was about. And I ended up getting an explore program and getting off through their sign off process to go start ride times and ended up doing a lot of my rides at engine 46, which was in our lower income area and got exposed to just kind of, I guess my first dose of like reality of what the real world was out there with them. And, um, the guys that were out there were just, were just stand up. They were awesome. They were into the job and, and kind of guided me along to show me what it was. So I ended up signing up for the fire Academy and I was on a waiting list because there was just so many people trying to get in at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've gone through fire Academy EMT school and then, you know, down here in South Florida, we have to be paramedics also. So go through paramedic school. And, uh, then I got my shot to, to go to Fort Lauderdale and that's where I'm at now. Awesome. Uh, for those that don't know, can you tell us a little bit about Fort Lauderdale, the size, uh, how many personnel and roughly how many calls a year? So roughly right now we're having between 55 and 60,000 calls a year. Um, a few years ago, we were in firehouse magazine as one of the busiest in the country for our firehouse downtown. Uh-huh. Um, the, the area we serve is, is demographically from everywhere. We have super high income areas. We have super low income areas and then everything in between. We've got a large business district downtown. We've got about 430 uh, personnel on the job right now, which we're uh, in the uh, process of increasing staffing right now, hopefully. Um, so that number is hopefully going to start going up. Um, we've got uh, staffing wise, we do three on an engine, three on a ladder and two on most of our medical rescue units. Um, everyone's firefighter paramedic for the most part. There's a couple lingering um, EMTs from the from the the way we were before, which was uh, a dual system back in the day. Uh, so right now, that's kind of where our standard is: the firefighter paramedic. Um, we probably run on average between, and this is just spitballing, seventy mm-hmm. to eighty working fires a year. So not not a whole lot of fire duty, but uh, for South Florida standards, we get we get our fair share. Okay. Uh, how many uh, engines and and ladders, roughly? So know. we have three ladders in the city. Um, they're obviously strategically placed throughout the city. Mm-hmm. Um, engine company wise, we've got thirteen engine companies. Okay. Uh, we've got a crash truck. We have a technical rescue team. We have a marine team. We have a hazmat team. We have an ARF truck. Um, and then there's three battalions and assistant chief that are on shift. Okay. So how many total stations? Stations, we have 12. 12. Okay. And all 12 ride minimum of three. Three. Wow. So you're having yeah. to do a lot with, unfortunately, less like a lot of departments. Right. Correct. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, I do remember that one, that one station um, that you mentioned that was in Firehouse Magazine. Uh, I think it has like everything in there, an engine, a ladder, I think, and an ambulance too running out of there. Yeah. At the time we had two engines, a ladder, two rescues, a battalion chief and an assistant chief. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Awesomeness. Um, so, uh, before we get into the rest of the questions, um, I'd like for you to, because you know how this world is, man, as we stated before we got on here, somebody sees an incident, they take a quick picture, a quick video, sends it out to the masses and you wake up the safety chiefs, the keyboard warriors out there. So, um, I'll just let you explain on that date, what happened, how the call came out and what you did, 
um, from your perspective, because you were there, we were not. Yeah, so uh, it was about three in the morning. Uh, we got dispatched to a residential fire in, in our 46 zone area, which is a, a pretty common area that we get fire duty at. Um, I was coming from a zone away on my truck on engine 16. Um, the first unit that arrived was one of our rescue units. And for some reason, they called in that there was a shed on fire in the rear. Um, so that kind of obviously coming in kind of sent everyone for a little bit of a loop. Um, and unfortunately, what ended up happening was the first new engine company that showed up was engine 46. They committed their line to the rear uh, with that information. Once they got back there, they realized this was not a shed on fire. It was, in fact, the house. It was a, like an illegal addition in the rear of the house. Mm -hmm. um, so once that happened, they ended up, and you can actually hear it in the video, they called up to the front um, saying, like, hey, have engine 16. Go ahead and stretch to the front of the structure. So uh, engine two arrived second due to grab the water supply, which is our standard on a residential. And then we arrived third due and you know, we stated that we were pulling the backup line when we arrived. So that video kind of goes from there. Uh, the, you know, a couple of the key things I want to get into is a lot of people commented on like why there wasn't water in the line right away. Um, the driver for the first new engine had just charged the, the first line that went to the rear and was with the second new engine company securing a, a water supply on a hydrant. So that was the delay in, in getting the water in the line. Obviously it was stretched out there. You can see in the video, but that was the delay there. Um, but as we arrived, um, my fireman stretched a line and as he was doing that, I was masking up, walking up to the door and just laying down in the front door to see if we had anything there. It was, a uh, an ALF. We had been told that as we walked up to the scene that there were some people outside already, they said, yes, this is an ALF. Um, so when I laid down in the front door there and scanned the floor, I was looking for where the hallway was and I came across a wheelchair. Um, and as soon as I saw the wheelchair, I got up and went to the wheelchair to pull on it, um, and look around the area of the wheelchair and the picture that everyone sees there is actually me coming out. It's not me going in. It looks way crazier to, for me to be walking into that situation. Right. But, um, I was already dragging the wheelchair on the way out. And obviously as soon as I pulled on it, it was empty. Um, I knew there was no one in it, but I wanted to remove it out of the way because it was going to hinder our advancement at that point. So the, uh, the two members on the ladder that everyone sees masking up there, um, actually snuck by us right when we went in the front door and the fireman actually had his coat burned almost down to the uh, moisture barrier. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's obviously getting new gear, but um, those guys made a super aggressive search uh, to clear four bedrooms that were over to the left side of the room. It was negative. There was nobody in there, um, but it's uh, it's nice to have actually all the information out there instead of just kind of wondering what, what, what went on and why is everyone so slow or why isn't there this or that? There's just, Obviously, there's a lot of moving parts on a on a on a fire scene, and you know, are there things we could improve on? Absolutely, and we're working on those things right now. But um, it's nice to be able to clarify some of the things that were going on. No, absolutely, and 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 that's the thing. You know, everybody takes an image, just a quick millisecond of an image, and it's running. You know, the comments go from one to over ten thousand. And it's, oh, why is he in there with no line? And it's just like, listen, we need to get the full story. But it's just, to me, it just seems like this is how the world's working right now. Like the the, the common theme, the way people think. So I appreciate you clearing that up. Um, I know you didn't have to because, I mean, you were there. We were not. But it is good for you to clarify for the, for the, for the uh, naysayers or the chief keyboard warriors out there. So... 
Yeah, but one of the last things I want to say too is I I think one of the, you know, I haven't ever had something like that where it was like so viral, I guess, or that anyone saw anything I was doing that that was that big of a deal, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and one of the one of the comments that bothered me the most was like people saying a hundred percent no, that's not survivable in there. And um, man, I'll tell you something. If my train of thought is if we can occupy space then it's survivable and it's not up to us as the fire fire department to decide who lives or dies. And listen, if we want to say that in that room right there, four or five feet in ahead of the line, someone may have been burned. You're, you're, you are a hundred percent correct. But at the end of the day, it's our job to remove them from that environment and then provide them whatever care we need to provide them. Um, and just for anybody else, I received zero injuries on that fire. I was obviously wearing all my stuff the way I should, I feel that I know what I'm doing um, and know where my limitations are. And I received no, no thermal burns. My hood didn't burn through none of that stuff happened. So um, I'm bringing that up because obviously the environment wasn't bad enough for me to burn through my gear. Mm -hmm. Then there is a chance somebody could have survived something. So um, I just, you know, I just want people to remember why we're here and what, and what we're trying to accomplish. No, you're right. And uh, in the, Famous words of Sean Duffy, searchable versus survivable. I took a class on that last year, and he talks about how a lot of fire departments will pull up. They look at the residents, give it a size up, and you know some departments or some chief officers that get there first are going, nope, we're going defensive. If anyone's in there, you know that it's it's not worth it. And it's like, but if they did a walk around, they would see on like the Charlie Delta side, there's a window where there's nothing coming out of it. We can go occupy that space real quick. So I definitely agree with you hands down that and, and I feel like that's changing with all these um, what I call these heavy hitters that are bringing out the research um, that are doing their homework on it. Studies have shown most times people are looking most victims are found at like a means of egress or they're in an occupiable space that doesn't have heavy fire involvement. We need to go in there to search for them. So I 100 percent agree with you on that. Uh, so what's the culture like within Fort Lauderdale currently regarding uh, like pride and training, things like that? Uh, the culture's pretty rich as far as tradition goes. You know, we've been um, around for 111 years now. So there is a lot of tradition and backstory with us. Uh, things are definitely evolving now. You know, over the years, I think we've been pretty known, at least down by us, to be aggressive interior engine company um, firemen. Now it's kind of what our bread and butter has been. And uh, it's funny, like I told you, we only have the three ladders and I have joked around for a while that our ladder guys are just are just uh, older or senior engine guys. They're not actually like what everyone would consider a truck guy, you know, um, but that culture is slowly changing now. Um, we've had some people that have come on over the, the last few years that have been really pushing a more truck focused culture where we are doing a lot of searching and a lot more uh, what I think is like the hard laborist stuff that comes with the truck company work. Mm -hmm. um, and those people are finally getting to those positions where they can start affecting a change in the culture. Um, we've always been pretty well good about training, but that's been ramping up too. Uh, most times in the afternoon, uh, we have our, our four o'clock per hour rules and regs for workout times. You will, you will catch most of the crews um, doing gear training or doing workouts together. And that was not something that was uh, prevalent when I had first come on. Um, but it's definitely a welcome thing now. Like it, it's, it's awesome to see if you pull up to a firehouse in Fort Lauderdale at about four o'clock, you're going to see guys 
uh, getting after it out there in the bay on the road bike, flipping tires, do, doing all the things that we're all we're all getting accustomed to now. Um, and then training has just been getting enhanced. We're just we're trying to keep up with the times and you know take classes and bring things back. You know, when I got hired, my training was a two week academy. Um, mm-hmm. and now we're up to 10 weeks. So, you know, things are definitely evolving and, um, it's definitely for the better. Okay. Uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, but some of the safety gurus would be like four o'clock. It's kind of hot in the day in Fort Lauderdale. What happens if you get a call while you're working out? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's definitely, uh, can be a concern in the back of your mind. There's no doubt, but, uh, the, the reality, I think that a lot of us has faced down here in South Florida is like it, the, the fire doesn't have a heat index, right? It's not like checking the heat index before we go Facts. out. So. Facts. <laughs> so, well, we just, we just got, we just got to get it done. Um, if anything, you know, I look at summertime as like a chance for us to really enhance our fitness, you know, it's going to be hotter. It's going to be more strenuous. Um, you need to be a little more particular about, looking at details like water and electrolytes and taking care of yourself. Um, and I think a lot of guys have said it, right. Like if a workout in the middle of your shift is going to be a detriment to you being able to respond, then I think we really need to step our fitness game up at that point. Um, so I, I really, I, tr- I think a lot of us try our best not to absolutely crush ourselves on shift, mm-hmm. you know, that right. soul crushing, uh, finding your mental full mental toughness workout maybe that needs to wait, uh, for, for your off day. Absolutely. Um, but the, the, the day-to-day 20 minute, 15 minute little session you get in or whatever it is. Um, I think that you're just maintaining at that point. You're just, um, there's that, there's the camaraderie thing. There's they're doing a little bit of tough stuff with your guys that goes a really long way. Um, there's so many benefits to it. You know, if you unfortunately get a run right after you're finished, um, which I've had one of those, it, um, yeah, it, it definitely makes it more difficult. I'm not saying it doesn't, but if you've prepared up to that point, it's not going to completely take you out of the game. You just need to do a little mental reset on the way and go, all right, <clears throat> let me slow my process and my brain down a little bit here and uh, and and conserve until we arrive and calm down. But um, awesome. I, I think I think it's an, an important thing, especially the summer, because when you struggle in the summer, when it comes fall and winter and all that stuff, man, you feel like, at least for me, you feel like a superhero when it comes to that time. There's no heat now on you. That's right awesome so right right no and, and like you said i mean there's no better way to get acclimated with the heat especially florida heat because florida heat it's it's humid it's sticky um so there's no better time to get acclimated in the summertime than yeah let's put your you know put your gear on and do a workout or just simply work out just to get your body used to it but like you said use common sense you gotta hydrate you don't want to be out there killing yourself on shift but you still want to be able to put in a good sweat session so i totally understand 100 yep. percent uh, what keeps you personally invested to stay positive and continue loving this job that you do? That's kind of evolved over the years. Uh, currently now, uh, my thing to stay invested is is looking at what the future is. You know, I'm about halfway through my career now, and um, I finally have a crew, a steady crew, um, and a good group of guys and a following that I have. And um, for me, for me to stay invested is just like I have. I have all this investment on a daily basis on where this place can go and where it will go. Um, I'm involved in a lot of different aspects from our RIT team to R&D to our union. Um, I'm a shift training officer. So I have a lot of personal investment and time into this place and and where I want to see it go. And that just really keeps me engaged to, you know, take classes, teach classes and, um, 
and just try to be the best example that I can for, for the guys that are, that are following me, you know, at this point in my career. Okay. Uh, how long were you a backstep before you got promoted? So yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately for us, our system isn't really uh, developed to give you a great opportunity to be riding as a fireman on the engine. Um, I had seven years on when I got promoted to driver and those seven years were on a, on a rescue unit. You know, I'd, I'd float in on an engine here and there, but mm -hmm. I didn't have enough time on the job for, for where I'm at to, to be able to get an engine bid, unfortunately. So, um, a lot of that time was spent like aggressively trying to find every class possible I could to enhance my firefighter skills because, you know, we would go to stuff here and there on that rescue, but right. it definitely was not, you know, any type of consistent fire duty, you know, I'd go months and months and months before I even stepped on a fire scene. So, um, I had to take the time off duty, um, to go and, and get those skills and stuff because I just wasn't getting the experience on the calls. You know, um, our, our rescue units are used for search and rescue if they're there first or to assist the engine getting a line in the door. So, you know, I get some overhaul stuff here and there, but as far as actual, like, first in line fire duty. I just, I wasn't getting that experience without, without seeking it outside of there. So um, seven years until I got promoted, but it was, that, that was probably when my real like firefighter stuff started was seven years into the job. Okay. Um, so kind of what I understand that you're getting at is you weren't getting your, your sets and reps in while being on the rescue. So you decided to tend to attend off shift uh, different training uh conferences or, 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 or scenarios that you could, that you could pick up. Right. Right. Okay. And how important do you think is training outside your department vital in, in becoming a better firefighter? I, I think it's, I think it's a paramount thing. Um, I, I, I really truly believe like we don't, we don't have a normal, a normal nine to five job. And I know that the people that are going to be listening to this know that already, but mm -hmm. um, I think you really have to look at it. it we can't just come to work um, on shift and go home and, and that be it. Like our job is too high risk and there's too many reps and skills that we have to master for us to be able to just get it in a 24 hour shift. Um, and th that is a reality that everyone needs to face. There has to be, there has to be extra. And I hate to use the word extra because it's, it's not really extra. It is, it is the minimum. Like you have to, you have to seek out those things because there's just not enough time or reps in a 24 hour period for you to really enhance Absolutely. it, especially, yep. especially in the beginning. Um, and, and I feel like if you can really focus in on that early and, and use that really high energy motivation that you have right in the beginning and really start tackling classes that can become your norm. And that's just, that's just who you become and who you are. You're going to be seeking out training. You're going to be doing those things and you're going to be surrounded by people that want to do those same things with you. And I think that's, what's going to propel you through your career to continue to do those, uh, to do the, to do those things that are, you know, what some people may feel is an inconvenience off duty. Okay. Now with you being a, a, a boss, a captain on an engine, do you still find time along with also being a training officer for you, your department? Do you still find time to go to these little outside micro conferences? Oh yeah. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I, we're actually a group of us on my normal group. I run around with, we're going up to uh, FDTN in Indiana in September for their rescue company class. Okay. Um, so we've been up there a few times, our group together, we brought 15 or 16 guys up there about a year ago. Um, 
it was our second time attending the the two years prior we had gone up with a little group there was only four of us and um we came back and we couldn't stop talking about how awesome it was and how great it was and um roped 16 people into coming with us the next time so nice um but yeah we're headed back up there in september um you know there's obviously the the balance of your of your home life too you know i got a wife and and three little kids and um you know i got to kind of lay out the the calendar for the year and go all right well where are we going to be able to fit in this stuff that that i not only want to do but i need to do for my job but like also within reason of i can't just be gone every weekend to go to go do this thing so Right. And you bring up a good point that especially with you being in Florida, uh, you have, I still believe, the North Florida Fire Expo that still goes on and all these little mini micro conferences around the Florida area, the Panhandle area. Um, And a lot of them recognize what you just said. And I know like they do things where you they encourage you to bring your spouse and that way spouses meet other other spouses of first responders and kids can play. And so it's definitely a great thing that I'm sure wasn't thought of back then. It wasn't even performed back then where it was, Hey, I'm going to training. It's just firefighters only. I'll be back. But now that a lot of these um, instructors or uh, creators of these programs are seeing that so that, you know, that's also one uh, option that you could do. But I like how you said that because a lot of us tend to forget we have wives and spouses, girlfriends and kids, and you can't lose focus on that side of the family aspect as well. Right. Uh, so what are your ultimate goals, whether it's short term or, or long term? Right now, um, like I'm assigned to our training bureau right now. So I'm uh, getting a, a chance to kind of groom and mentor the the guys that we're going to be putting on shift that are essentially going to be riding behind me at some point. Um, so that my, my goal at the moment is to get them as prepared as possible before they step on the truck. And then, uh, I am also looking forward to getting back on the truck with my guys, you know, it's, um, this is my first year having an actual crew. Um, it's all guys I know. Um, some of the guys I had trained in the capacity I am right now when they came on the job a few years ago. Um, and I'm really enjoying, um, building that culture at, at the firehouse now. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting back to that. As far as the future goes, um, you know, I haven't made a, 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 a big decision on what I'm doing yet, but I'm going to start working towards uh, getting my degree finished, which is part of our, you know, what, what we need for our battalion chief's test. Um, I haven't decided 100% if that's the route I'm going or not, but um, I don't want a piece of paper to be holding me back if I do decide to make that decision. So uh, finishing up that degree is probably going to be one of the one of the big things I do next. Okay. All right. And do you feel like, and you know, this is just your opinion uh, and you don't have to answer if you don't feel comfortable, but do you feel like you're ready to step off the truck? Cause just listening to you, I think you're thoroughly enjoying being on, being on, on a truck. Yeah. Um, no, I don't. And uh, so we have uh, our, our test is this year. Um, and I had held off finishing my degree because I had felt like right now where my head's at now, I, I do not see, either a desire or benefit, I guess, for me stepping off the truck yet. You know, um, I joke around and said, like, I don't want to just drive around a car by myself. And then people get <laughs> weird when I walk in the kitchen, you know, that, <laughs> that's right. what a lot of people look at that job as, you know, um, right. I have a lot of my great friends that have moved up to that rank and it's, it's awesome to see the, them there. They do a, an amazing job. Um, <laughs> But funny enough, you know, one thing a lot of them say is like, man, I really wish Ryan in the front seat of that engine. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's a, it's a great spot. Um, 
so yeah, I think that that's why I said I haven't made up my mind for the future yet. Yeah, but right now I am not ready. I, I really do. I I didn't I think I had always aspired to be uh the company officer on the engine. Um mm-hmm. but I didn't I don't think I fully realized like how much I would enjoy it. Like the impact that I can have at that level is so significant. Um from getting your guys promoted under you to being able to institute training to just running a firehouse to uh, being the guy that people can come to with their personal life stuff, like all, all that stuff um, as difficult as those things may be at times are, are awesome to look back at and go like, man, like I really have like a huge impact on these people. And if I carry myself a certain way and keep myself to this standard, like I, I really am like an important piece of this puzzle. And I enjoy being that, that piece. No, well said for sure. For sure. But yet, like, as you stated before, I do know so many people that have, uh, either transitioned from a firefighter to a captain and they wish that they could go back or they've left the the at the trucks altogether, ride a ride a buggy and definitely miss sitting in that right front seat. So I totally understand. Uh in your opinion, what key elements or factors do you think are needed to make a good firefighter, regardless of rank? Regardless of rank, uh so my in the past I had thought like you just needed to have skills like you know throwing ladders, stretching lines, searching, like just being aggressive fireman. I thought that's what it was. Um that has kind of evolved over the years. I think that all the things I just brought up as a company officer, being able to mentor and teach and all that stuff, I think that a true fireman in my eyes is someone that does those things also, regardless of rank. The 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 quote unquote senior man, right? The guy mm-hmm. that that really can take a new guy under his wing, correct any deficiencies, you know, walk them through what their day looks like, what it should look like, expectations. Um, you know, if you're if you have all these great skills, but you're a jerk um, and you're not nice to the public and everything's an inconvenience, you're you're not you're not part of our solution here, right? Like there there is so much more that that comes to our job than stretching a hose line to the back bedroom. Um, there's so much more interaction we get percentage wise of interaction with the public that um, just being nice to someone and that goes for the public or for the the junior member. Just being nice to someone goes so far and it it means so much. Um, so that is part of it, and then I think just that that grit grinding work ethic. If you can have that on your side, man, like that is, that's something you can't teach somebody, you know, I mean, hopefully maybe they, someone can develop that over time, but if you have that grit in you and that grind and just that hard work ethic, and you're the first one to pick up the mop, you're the first one to wipe the table, you're the first one to to stand up and do something when something needs to get done. Like that is, that to me is what a, a true good, like bread and butter firefighter is. All right. I have no objections there. Um, What would you say to a, one of those grit firefighters that are eager, motivated, but they feel like they are surrounded by a, either a complacent crew or a non-motivated organization? So depending what, what your, you know, where your position is in the organization or time on, I think is going to kind of affect how that's going to go. But for one, I think you just got to, you got to keep grinding, keep doing your thing. I think a lot of times, um, some people at solar stations and we have even have it at ours, you know, people get a kind of into a rut or complacency where, they, where they're not doing stuff. Right. And sometimes that guy you're talking about it, all it takes is that guy doing his thing for people to start latching onto it. Right. So 
say you go out every day and you just, you get your gear workout done at four o'clock every day. And you do that for a few weeks or a few months. Eventually someone's going to walk outside and be like, what the hell are you doing out here? I'm just doing this. You want to join me? Just keep engaging those people and trying to draw them in. Eventually though, that, that balance is going to shift and you're going to have more people working harder than, than less. Um, if you're just biding your time where you have to wait to get out, to get to a busier company or get to, then bide your time, keep your stuff up, keep doing your thing, keep grinding forward, keep working on your skills until you have the time to move to a company that's, that's going to do it. But engage those members there and try to get them involved. You know, there most likely there's someone there that does want to get better. And that, that has just been maybe caught in a rut and mm -hmm. um, it may be the catalyst to get them out of that rut and get, and get things changing over there. Um, especially from a cultural standpoint. Okay. Um, and in your opinion, what do you think the American fire service can improve on? <laughs> um, I think honesty with one another would be, would be one of them. Um, That's good. Yeah. I think the, I think our, and you know, we suffer from it too. The culture of, Hey man, we did a good job. Pat on the back. No one died. Everyone goes home and walking away. Um, I think we need to do a better job in general of, of having those like honest conversations with one another. Like, Hey man, it wasn't perfect. Right. If you talk to anybody that's, <laughs> that's, that's worth a damn in the fire service. Any, any of the big name guys, they will straight up tell you, I've never had a perfect fire, right? I've never exactly. had a perfect fire. You hear that over and over. And, right. uh, and none of us ever will. There, there will always be something. Um, and I'm not like giving anyone the green light to just be bashing everything all the time. Not, you know, coming from like a negative perspective, but um, what I'm saying is just look around and especially at yourself, like, what could I have done a little better? Maybe, maybe it was a radio transmission. Maybe it was um, my pace that I walked up to the scene. You know, what could I have done better? Maybe it's just some self-reflection you have to do and that's fine. But at the end of those hot washes or, you know, the, those critiques at the end, man, just point out like, Hey, what can we do a little better? And don't just offer the problem. If maybe stretching a line was a little slower than we would have liked. And, and man, I think we could have stretched that line a little, a little better next time. Um, why don't we try to get together in the next couple of shifts, like a multi-company drill and, and work on that stuff together. So we know where, you know, see where we're at and see what we can improve on. Um, I think if solutions are offered with the problems then people may, may be a little bit more apt to accept the criticism than to mm -hmm. just be coming up with all the problems. But those honest conversations have to happen because the, um, I agree, everyone should go home and I want everyone to go home, but we can't just drop that line and do a pat on the back and, and get out of there without looking at the stuff that we can improve on. Cause every time we can improve on something is as mm -hmm. minute as it, it may be. No, you're totally right. I mean, there's always going to be something you could, that you could work on and improve because nobody's perfect. And even like you said, even the heavy hitters out there will tell you, you know, I could have stretched this line just a little bit better or whatnot, but no, it's, and it's also having humility to be able to to say that and think that because we're not all perfect. That's why we want to practice and get better at this job. So totally uh, hands down, agree with you facts on that one. Um, I had to, uh, one of my questions I had to ask you was, uh, so you're a training officer. So what's your niche? What do you like to teach? So, um, like I said before, we have like a heavy engine culture. The engine company stuff is definitely my niche. Um, okay. Stretching lines, um, you know, nozzle mechanics, inch three quarter, two and a half, extending lines, engine company emergencies. Um, I got brought up in that, that like rich culture that we had at Fort Lauderdale. Um, so that is definitely my niche. Um, I teach at our expo with Fort Lauderdale and at Orlando fire conference. And that's, we have the make engines great again class. And that is, 
that's my thing. That's my, uh, that's my corner. I, I pretty much stay in. Um, I've enhanced that a little more with some of the guys that, that came into the department with moving to the truck company stuff. Um, so I've definitely stepped on my game with searching and victim removals and stuff like that, VES. Uh, but definitely my, my area of what I would consider my expertise where I am the most comfortable is doing engine company operations. Okay. And what, what kind of, uh, what, uh, hose lays and or hose nozzles do you guys use at Fort Lauderdale? So we are a traditionally flat load, um, okay. pre-connect. Uh, that's what we do. We have three trucks that are like kind of these outlier trucks that were spec weird. So they were single stacks and we had to put the Cleveland load or the Metro load on it to okay. uh, just accommodate the stack. But yeah, all of our pre-connects are flat load. And then we use a modified Denver load for our high rise stuff. Um, we were doing a flat load on that for a little while, which obviously wasn't uh, very good for us. We switched. So we switched to the, a modified Denver load probably seven or eight years ago. And, um, and that's what we're running with for high rise stuff. So. Okay. And your nozzles on the, uh, on your cross lace. So we have, uh, there's three pre-connects. We have two inch three quarter pre-connects. One of them is a fog. One of them is a smooth bore. And then we have a two and a half pre-connect. That's a, a smooth bore. Um, that's, that's hit or miss with who you're going to get. So the circle I run in is going to be heavy smooth bore. Um, but there are other guys that, that do like the fog nozzle. So. Okay. And your department allows, uh, every station to kind of, to kind of do their thing it doesn't have to all be all smooth bores all fogs you know that they give them that leeway yeah so we're set up we're set up one fog and two smooth so okay what whoever the officer is when they arrive no matter what zone it is or where they're going or whatever if they want to pull a fog nozzle they can pull a fog nozzle if they want to pull a smooth they can pull a smooth so they leave it officer's discretion on on what they want to do okay all right i just always like to ask because you know the, the 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 big thing now is the Minuteman um either seven eighths or your 15 sixteenths tip uh smooth bores so it's always just like you know i always like to just know it's one of those things you don't know what you don't know until you get out of your real house so yep that's that's yeah, why we're uh, we're 15 16 smooth bore that's our that's our tip for inch three quarters so okay all right but yeah that's a definitely a, the the fog versus smooth is a rabbit hole that could go down for oh yeah, for yeah hours absolutely. and hours so. absolutely yeah <laughs> now I, like i said there's no judgment it's just me <laughs> wanting to know and i'm sure the listeners want to know when it's a different department like oh how do they operate so yeah we we all could take things from different departments and and, and make it our own and make our department better yep. but um i appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to do this um good luck with uh these new recruits that you're gonna that you're gonna train and teach and um i'm sure you'll be itching to get back to the truck here shortly yeah i love it all right sir thank you very much thank you for having me i appreciate it all right pal if any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator goal-oriented hardworking, humble passionate and professional regardless of rank career or volunteer contact me at student of the game fire podcast at gmail.com until next time stay focused stay committed and stay safe